Let us now open God's holy word and return to the book of Exodus, chapter 12, the verses 1 through 28. Exodus 12, the verses 1 through 28. And we read the word of God there as follows. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house Take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its heads with its legs and its entrails. You shall not, you should let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord." Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats unleavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. Seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called 
for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. After the sermon, let us sing together hymn 26. Beloved brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that the book of Exodus, of course, speaks about how the Lord set his people free from Egypt. But, of course, there is a build-up to that story. First, basically four chapters, you learn about how Israel, after coming to the land of Egypt, having come there during the days of Joseph, began to prosper. They multiplied, but also then it didn't take long, and they began to be oppressed. So we learn about, you could say, Israel's plight, severely oppressed. But the Lord also began to make preparation to save his people, and he did that by bringing up Moses. But it's interesting, of course, that when we think of the life of Moses, by the time Moses was born, Israel had been suffering for quite a number of years already. And then it took another 80 years before Moses finally came to the point where the Lord said, now it is time that you go and set my people free. This is all described in considerable detail in the first four chapters. Towards the end of chapter 4, we also are reminded that the Lord tells Moses that when he finally gets to go to Egypt, it's not going to be an easy task. As a matter of fact, Pharaoh is going to resist all the calls to let Israel go. And then also Moses has to say to Pharaoh that Israel is God's firstborn son, and when he does not let Israel, God's firstborn son, go, then Pharaoh will also face the consequences, and his firstborn son will die. Now, of course, then, it doesn't come to that plague right away, but in between we have chapters 5 through 11, the nine plagues by which Egypt is afflicted. Really, Egypt is ruined economically, socially, and yet Pharaoh refuses to let Israel go. And so, finally, the time has come for the Lord to also implement what he said at the beginning, that indeed Pharaoh's own firstborn son would die. We've come to that particular point in the story in Exodus. Now, we've come to that point, but really we are on the threshold of that point. Chapter 12 tells us how the Lord prepared his people for this event and also for leaving Egypt by instituting the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These are two aspects, actually, not just one, but two aspects. And as can be learned from the way that, Moses, that the Lord told Moses 
that the month in which this event was to take place was to be the beginning of months for the people of Israel from that point on, it becomes clear that we are dealing with a tremendously significant event in the history of Israel. This was really the time of new beginning. But now you realize, of course, that while we mention all these details, all these historical facts in the life of Israel, we are not just looking at it in terms of historical interest. The church is not an historical study society. No, the church is the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ that wants to hear the gospel of salvation. And we keep in mind, of course, that also this is part of God's story of salvation. All of Scripture points to our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we know the Old Testament times, they record for us how the Lord prepared for the coming of His Son. Very long story from the garden when He made the promise of the seed of the woman till the Lord Jesus Christ being born. But we also know that the Old Testament Scriptures, they foreshadow the work of Christ and how we are saved through Him. Mention that term foreshadow. You can find that, for example, in Hebrews 8 and 10. It's true for the laws and the ceremonies. They anticipate what the Lord Jesus Christ came to do, but also the history of Israel foreshadows the way of salvation that we have in our Savior Jesus Christ. John puts it this way in his first chapter in his gospel. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And always have to keep in mind that the Lord has preserved for us all these Old Testament dealings with His people that we might better understand the gift of salvation in Christ. And when we look at our text and the way it portrays for us that new beginning for Israel, commemorated by them annually, was supposed to be in the Passover and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we have a foreshadowing of the new beginning we have in Jesus Christ. And as we reflect on our text, we will be reminded of the, the fundamental importance of Christ crucified for our new beginning, as well as the subsequent call to live in new obedience. Both these aspects come out in our text. And thereby, therefore, I proclaim to you this morning the institution of the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread foreshadows the beginning of new life in Christ. And we consider how this is foreshadowed in, first of all, the Passover, and secondly, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the institution of the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread foreshadow the beginning of new life in Christ. So we begin by looking at the Passover. Now, as it is described in considerable detail as to what needed to be done, we can limit ourselves to a few points of explanation and elaboration just to highlight certain aspects. First, there is that aspect of the setting aside a lamb. Now, as we read that word lamb, of course, that makes us think of sheep. But as is evident in verse 5, that actually is not the meaning because it could be taken from the sheep or the goats. So when we read in the beginning there about a lamb, it should be seen more as a small animal from the flock. Now second, we should also note here that we are dealing with a family ceremony followed by a family meal. Actually, something 
like this is still practiced by Jews who want to maintain the traditions to this very day. It's interesting that of all the sacrifices the Lord prescribed, this is the only one that really took place within the family setting. All the other ones would have to take place later on in the tabernacle and then eventually in the temple. But we notice that in verse 27, for example, how the parents were to instruct their children when they celebrated in the Passover in years to come that the slaughtering of the lamb was a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. So it's a sacrifice, and yet it's something also that had to be eaten by the family. Whereas many of the other sacrifices, they went to the sanctuary and they burned the whole thing up right there. They didn't eat any of those sacrifices which were made to make payment for sin. Now the family character is also reinforced by the fact that they had to keep in mind that they should only have a lamb to kind of correspond to the number of members in the family. If your family was too small, you should include your neighbor. Don't just pick someone across town. No, pick your neighbor and then have that meal together. And indeed, whatever wasn't eaten, then we think again of the sacrifices that had to be offered up, burned up completely. You could not keep it for future meals. Now, third, there are certain aspects that were unique to that first Passover. And we think here of the instruction to eat it with the sandals on their feet, the staff, the walking stick in their hand, belt all tied up, tied up, because they indeed they had to be ready to start traveling. It was kind of unique because, as we also comes out in the account, of course, when indeed the Passover happened, the actual angel of destruction came, then the Egyptians didn't want him around anymore, and they chased the people out as fast as they could. But later on in Israel's history, as is evident also, for example, when the Lord Jesus Christ would celebrate the Passover with his disciples, you could say it was a more leisurely meal. Now, the fourth thing to note is that it was to be roasted. No, we would say today it had to be barbecued. And the instruction not to eat it raw anticipates the instruction the Lord would later on give at Mount Sinai that Israel should never eat the blood of an animal. Pagan nations would do that because they wanted to get kind of the strength from the animal by eating also the blood. But for the Lord, he made it very clear, blood represents life. And as to why it should not be boiled, it's probably related also to the fact that this would have been a practice among the pagan nations. We think of how the later the Lord would give instructions not to boil a goat, a small kid, in its mother's milk. Here it mentions water. But the association here seems to be again with pagan ways of offering meat to their gods. But now all these details kind of to clarify a few points that might come into our mind that might distract us. Now, after all these kind of little elaborations, we notice that the purpose of all these instructions comes out beginning at verse 7. Because there we read the command to take the blood of the animal, they had to take a brush, and they had to brush it on the doorposts, on the sides, and the lintel that is the piece across the top. And also, you should note that there was a command not to that they had to eat the meat inside and not step outside past the blood-stained doorposts. And it is in verse 11 to 13 we learn why and why this feast was to be called the Passover. Because remember, the Lord was about to punish the Egyptians by killing all the firstborn. 
Now we know that the first few plagues the Lord sent upon the Egyptians also were experienced by the people of Israel. But by the time of the fourth plague, when the Lord sent flies on the land, from that point on the Lord spared Israel from those experiences. They were not afflicted by plagues four through nine. But we notice when it came to the tenth plague, which would be the death of the firstborn, the people of Israel were not automatically going to receive a buy like they had received in plagues four through nine. It was essential that they do something. They had to stay inside. They had to stay behind the doorframe of their houses, which had been painted with the blood of the lamb. And they had to also eat of the meat that was provided. Because the Lord would only pass over those houses that indeed had blood on the doorframe where the people were inside. If we keep in mind, the principle later spelled out that the life is in the blood, and the blood was offered, the blood of animals was offered as a substitute for sin. We can say that, that by coming to houses where there was blood on the doorframe, you'd say that there had, a death had already taken place there, a substitute death. It was like saying to that angel of destruction, death has taken place here, you can move on, go to houses where they don't have a death already. But in all this, we should not miss the fact how in this particular plague that was going to come upon the land, Israel, as we said, could not just count on a buy like they had in plagues 4 through 9, but there was a call to act out of faith. Act of faith required stay inside, eat the meat behind the blood-covered doorposts. And if anyone thought, well, in the previous months of plagues, you know, nothing happened to us. Why should we do something this time? Why do we have to put blood on the door frames of our house? Or if they thought, well, okay, we put blood over there, but one of the children wanted to sneak out and have a look what was going on outside. Well, any family that did that exposed itself to the angel of destruction. And so by painting blood on the doorframe and eating the meat, action required by the people of Israel, they expressed their faith in what God had said. And in that way alone, they would escape the judgment God was sending upon the Egyptians. In that way alone was it possible for the whole family to indeed also enjoy the deliverance that was about to come the escaping from the bondage to Pharaoh. Only in that way would the whole family would be able to make a new beginning in the life of freedom. Now we can see then by making the Passover, the lead-off feast for the year, Israel was constantly reminded of how the Passover really marked the new beginning for them as a people. Really, up to this point, you could say Israel had functioned as a very large family. But this was really the formal beginning of now treating Israel as a people. This was to be their annual New Year's celebration, not just for one day, but really for a whole month. It was a reminder of how they had made that new beginning because of the blood of that lamb. And of course, the call to celebrate and to eat was also a call to faith in the God who had saved them. And notice that well. 
the whole Passover there was to, was to function as an annual celebration of their deliverance. This was their New Year's Day, New Year's Month, you could say. But we wanted to see how this all is connected to, of course, our salvation in Jesus Christ. But we should realize that this all anticipates, it foreshadows the new beginning as New Testament people in Christ. We think of already in the Old Testament time, Isaiah chapter 53, he prophesied about the suffering servant who would be led to the slaughter like a lamb. So the whole idea of a lamb being sacrificed is very significant. When John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And of course, we know that the death of our Lord Jesus Christ did not just take place at just any time of the year, but it took place at the time that Israel was about to celebrate its annual Passover feast. It's not just a coincidence. No, because the Passover had been pointing towards what he was going to do. At the very time of the year, when Israel remembered how they had been delivered from Egypt, how they had been saved by the blood of the Lamb, that was the time of the year that Jesus, the true Passover Lamb, was sacrificed. It's interesting how, how the Apostle Paul even refers to Christ exactly in that way. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, he says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So that Old Testament celebration of Passover, foreshadowing the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we also think of Christ crucified as truly the day of new beginning. Because... As we think again, yes, Israel was set free from physical bondage, but that anticipates our deliverance from spiritual bondage. We have been set free from Satan, set free from sin. That's all tied to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think, for example, of how Paul puts it in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, that, that God has transferred us from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of Jesus Christ in the death of Jesus Christ. Or we think of how it is put in Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15, that Christ, through his death, destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver us who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. So note as well, Israel's history, we said, foreshadows salvation history. It's not just the road from the garden to Bethlehem, but the whole bondage to Pharaoh foreshadows or symbolizes our bondage to Satan. The whole exodus, that deliverance from Pharaoh, symbolizes also the spiritual deliverance we have through the blood of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we should not forget the way Israel was told to paint the blood of the Lamb on their doorframe, and they had to eat the meat. We said that was an expression of faith. They had to show indeed that they believed what the Lord was going to do and how He would save them. And by comparison, we must hide behind the blood of Jesus Christ. If we want to follow through the image, you could say we have to make sure we paint the blood of Christ on the doorposts of our heart. That is an act of faith to say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to hide behind my Savior. Only when that blood is on the doorpost of our heart, only when we stay behind that blood, 
will we avoid judgment? And even the eating of that meat also symbolizes further the need for active living faith, embracing what Christ has done. It reminds us of the way the Lord Jesus Christ, He used it in connection with that conversation about Him being the bread from heaven. But He said, well, you have to eat the bread from heaven. And He moved on to speaking about He gave His flesh to eat. And we have to indeed drink His blood and eat His flesh. That means we have to believe in Him actively if we are going to avoid perishing, if we are going to receive eternal life. Now, it's worth mentioning how the significance of Christ's death and resurrection was expressed for many centuries in the way the part of the world that had become Christian, you know, especially after the work of, of, of spreading the gospel to the apostles and then eventually even the whole Roman Empire becoming Christian. It's interesting how for a long time in history, actually they made the death of Christ really the time of the year that would be considered New Year's Day. For a long time in history, New Year's Day was, along, was around March the 25th, which was exactly the time of the year, also when the Jews would have their Passover celebration. Notice how for many centuries, we kind of have forgotten those kind of things, maybe never learned about that, but for many centuries, New Year was tied to the death of Jesus Christ, because that was seen as the new beginning for God's people. It's interesting, it was not till 1582 that Pope Gregory decided to move New Year's Day to January the 1st. Shows the political influence, you could say, that the popes had back then, and most European nations followed, even those who embraced the Protestant faith. Britain was a holdout. Interesting point. Not till 1752 did they take January the 1st as New Year's Day. But the point is that by following the pattern of the Passover in terms of making New Year, of marking New Year from the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for so many years, in society you could say it was understood that the death of Christ marks the day of new beginning. You know, we tend to date things from the birth of Christ, but really for many centuries the people said, no, we have to date the new beginning from the death of Christ. That's when payment for our sins was made. That's when we were in His blood reconciled to the Father. Good point to keep in mind. Also, when we think of our practice, you know, we have again coming up pretty soon, Christmas, we put a lot of emphasis on the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and New Year's celebrations, and as nice and as important that is, you know, that's not actually in accordance with the Scriptures. If you start to add up how much time Scripture spends on the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ compared to how much time it spends about the death of Jesus Christ, that hardly, it, you can't even compare it. Only Matthew and Luke tell us about the birth of Jesus Christ, and Matthew doesn't tell us very much. But every last gospel spends chapter after chapter after chapter talking about the last days of our Lord Jesus Christ, His arrest, His trial, His crucifixion, His resurrection. That's where the focus is to be. Jesus Christ came into the world to die. That was the significant event. That's where we find our salvation. That's where is the day of new beginning for us as Christians. In that respect, we think even of the symbol on your cross. It's not, it's not just a little manger scene on your church. It's not a manger scene, but a cross. The cross, that's the day of new beginning. But there's more, because we also have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And as the Passover brings out the new beginning in terms of 
freedom from slavery to Satan. The Feast of Unleavened Bread brings out that in Christ there is a new beginning of a life free from sin. And that's our second point. We notice that unleavened bread was mentioned already in verse 8. And we see detailed instructions in the verses of 14 through 20. Interesting that the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to be kept for seven days, and the first and the last days were to be marked by a day for coming together in the worship of God's name, Holy Convocation. Now, it's worth noting that if you look just a few verses past our reading, that the people left in such a hurry, verse 34 it says that, they left in such a hurry that they bound up their kneading bowls and their garments and carried them on their shoulders, and therefore they explained why the bread didn't have time to rise. But it wasn't just due to circumstances. The instruction was, remove leaven from your house. Leaven, the element that makes bread rise. Today we would use yeast or something like that. But we have noticed also the seriousness of the instruction. Because both in verse 15 and 19, we read the warning that if anyone eats leavened bread during this period, he was to be cut off from the people of Israel. Leaven had to be completely removed from their houses. Apparently later on in history, even perhaps even this time Jewish families still do that when they celebrate the Passover, they make a bit of a game out of it. They send the children on a hunt throughout the house to make sure there is no leaven. Make sure, that indeed, this instruction is carefully followed. But now it's interesting, while there are detailed instructions, make sure there is no leaven in your house, no explanation is given for this command. So we have to look elsewhere in Scripture to find a, get a clue as to why this would have been required by the Lord. Because the Lord doesn't just do things incidentally out of curiosity. But we can take our cue again from a passage we mentioned earlier in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6 through 8. And from that we can conclude that actually leaven symbolized in this case the old sinful nature. You know, we mentioned that passage earlier because there Christ was called our Passover lamb. And you know, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 5 is in the setting of Paul urging the Corinthians to deal with a sinful situation. A man was living with his father's wife, probably his stepmother or something like that. And, and Paul says, you can't let that go on. That's sinful. A particular case was even considered unacceptable in the eyes of the pagan world. Paul points out you've got to deal with that because if you don't deal with it, it's like a leaven. It's going to poison the whole congregation. And so he makes it very clear that sin like that, no sin really belongs in the congregation of Jesus Christ. So then he says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed, and therefore we are to cleanse out the old leaven that we may be a new lump. And what is that old leaven? He says the old leaven is the leaven of malice and evil, the way of sin. And the Corinthians are told they are to be like unleavened bread, pure, filled with sincerity and truth. And so the command to remove all leaven should not be seen as an effort by God to spoil the feast. 
After all, it was a feast to celebrate the Lord had led the people of Israel out of Egypt. It was a reminder, however, that as they left Egypt, they should also leave behind the ways of Egypt. Not long afterwards, at the foot of Mount Sinai, the Lord told Israel that they were a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. And we know that also you go through the book of Leviticus, for example, I mean, you get all these laws and regulations about, especially when it comes to human sexuality. Then, then the Lord says to Moses, don't do as they did in Egypt. Don't do as they practice in Canaan, the land you're going to possess. And all those kind of things, all their idolatry, all their immorality, make sure that is not found in your midst. That's a leaven. That's a poison that will destroy you like it has destroyed them. So notice, because God has set His people free from slavery, but also from the ways of those nations, He says that not to be found among you. It's also the very evident in the structure, you could say, of the ten words of the covenant. Because there are not just Ten Commandments that suddenly come out of nowhere, but the Lord reminds His people, I am the Lord your God who has set you free from the house of bondage, from slavery to, to Pharaoh and things like that. And then come the commandments. So God first of all says, I have set you free, therefore now you are to live in a different way. And this is the way that is different from the nations round about. And there are the Ten Commandments. Now again, we see this foreshadow the new life we have in Christ because we have a new beginning in Christ. The new life in Christ has to leave behind the old ways of malice and evil, the ways of the world. Now Israel was reminded of this in a week-long feast near the beginning of the year called to holiness. Now, of course, if we think of the other laws the Lord gave, it was not just that in that week they had to be extra holy, but He wanted them to be holy and obedient to Him throughout their whole life. That same principle comes out in our lives. See that pattern also in the New Testament letters where it's made very clear that now that we know Christ, we have to leave the old ways and make sure that we go hunting for the leaven in our lives and get rid of it. You know, you think of the pattern that you find in so many of Paul's letters, where he will find a congregation of certain doctrines about the work of salvation in Jesus Christ. It may be how we are saved by faith, or he may talk about the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice to cover all our sins, whatever the situation required. But often you could say a reminder of key gospel doctrines. But then he will follow it through by also saying, well, now because this has happened, therefore we should live in this way. We saw some of it also in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, reminding the Corinthians, Christ our Paschal lamb has been, uh, Passover lamb has been sacrificed, therefore live differently. Remove the leaven from your lives. You think of 1 Corinthians 6, he addresses a lot of sexual sins that are still prevalent in the congregation, and then he says, but how can that be? You have been washed, you have been sanctified, you have been justified. You are temples of the Holy Spirit. Now glorify God in your body. You see, again, that principle. You have been set free, now live as those free from sin. Go hunting and find that leaven and get rid of it. Now we find similar kind of things in Colossians, having explained again the, the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and he will say, you know, 
Therefore, since we have been raised with Christ, let us seek the things that are above. And in chapter 3, he will spell out the things that are the old ways, that has to be disposed of, put to death the old nature, put on the new nature. Romans chapter 6, we have died with Christ, we have become alive with Him, symbolized in our baptism, so how can we still live in the old ways? It doesn't belong there. He even says sin will no longer have dominion over us anymore because we live under grace. And so in short, Christians have been set free from bondage to Satan to live a life free from the leaven of sin. Delivered people are also to be a people that are busy cleaning up their lives. They're called to do that. And so the institution of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread which was to be celebrated annually in the first month of the year, was meant to remind Israel of their new beginning. How they had been spared from the judgment that was experienced by the world, you could say, by Egypt, because they were hiding behind the blood, and they ate, they believed in what God had said to them. They ate the lamb that was sacrificed. But notice also that there was a call to new beginning in terms of holiness, a new life of holiness. All these things pointing us straight to Jesus Christ, our true Passover lamb, behind whose blood alone we find refuge, behind whose blood alone we will escape the judgment of God that is coming over the world. And of course, we, we remember it at Easter, the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ. We remember it in our Lord's Supper celebration, but in principle, we remember it every Sunday again. Because as congregation of the Christ who died and rose again for us, we are reminded in Christ alone is our salvation and we have to keep hiding behind Him. Never step past the blood of Jesus Christ because when we do that, then we make ourselves liable to the judgment of God. Only behind the blood are we safe. But at the same time, as we now have Christ, our Passover lamb, who has been sacrificed for us, we also have to make sure that we now walk in the newness of life and hunt in our lives for that leaven, the leaven of sin, and get rid of it. It doesn't belong there anymore, because we are now also to pursue a life of sincerity and truth. Amen.